This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Hi and welcome to Titanic Talkline. I am Alexia and I am so excited to welcome back Veronica Hinky. Hello, how are you? Hi, good morning. It's so great to be talking with you this morning. It's bright and sunny here in uh, Wisconsin where I am and I'm just really looking forward to our chat. Me too. I really liked our first one mostly because it just made me hungry. But yeah. yeah. I had I posed a question to you in um in our chat beforehand and I just wanted to ask you because you know the movie obviously is is coming out again um really soon uh, and for a limited run and it's it's really exciting. I've seen people like posting about God getting their tickets. I'm actually going to be back home in Maryland for the time. So I'm going to go see it with a group of friends back there and it's kind of turning into a thing. People are gearing up for it. And I asked you, what do you think should be served at like a rewatch party. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And I was so happy when you asked me that question because <laughs> I love that question. I, I love thinking about that. And, uh, and I love to entertain as you know, and, you know, I'm actually getting ready to have a watch party. Um, it's the 20th anniversary of, of the amazing James Cameron movie that so many of us just really truly love. And so I always think in terms of things from the book that I wrote, the things mm-hmm. that I featured in my book, because I really tried to uh, cover all the different food topics I could within a certain amount of space on the page. Mm-hmm. One of the things that goes so well with a movie party is popcorn. I love buttered popcorn at the movies. And I um, wrote in my book about a man named Dan Coxon, who was popcorn a third class. Dan. Yes. Yeah. And so that was the first thing that I wanted to talk with you about today mm-hmm. is there's so many things you can do with popcorn to honor that immigrant experience through the story of popcorn Dan for those who don't know, I'll share really briefly um, about what, who Popcorn Dan was. Dan lived um, where I'm talking to you from now at my hometown, uh, central Wisconsin. And he lived in Merrill, Wisconsin. He worked all over central Wisconsin and he was an, an immigrant. He was from London, England, and he was a popcorn vendor. And ironically, he popped into my mind right when you asked about the, the movie party, because when he was going to London on the trip that he was, when he was traveling on the Titanic back home to Merrill, um, he was going to London to try to find out how he could start one of the first central Wisconsin movie theaters. Oh. And he, yeah, he was actually looking into his family told the Titanic um, inquisitors that he was looking into how to get oh i'm sorry i you know what i'm gonna have to start over i'm so sorry let me go get my puppy so i can hear it's okay honey 
I think like half my interviews get interrupted by one of the dogs making a sound of some kind. They're reasonably, reasonably well-behaved, but every once in a while you just kind of get like a moment where they're like, nope, I have something to say. I'm so sorry about that. That's okay. Dogs are dogs. Oh, she's not going to stop. Honey, come on. Be good girl. Be good girl. Puppy. Hey, Lolo's gotta talk to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Bobby. Thank you. Okay, so so um hopefully you can edit that out. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to. I love dog interruptions. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, thank you. Um so I love the story of Popcorn Jane. He was going to he his trip to London was mainly for the purpose to see his family of course but also he wanted to find out what he would need to do to to start the first movie theater in Merrill. sure ironically where he set up his popcorn stand every day in Merrill, or pretty much every day in the in good weather right now there's a movie theater there the cosmo theater huh. he wanted to find out how to get usher uniforms that's what his i think it was his brother told the titanic investigators that and so mm-hmm. there's so many things you can do with popcorn um you can you know make caramel corn obviously you can have fun with it and make popcorn balls for your guests for a, a titanic movie party you can sprinkle uh caramel corn or just plain or buttered popcorn on top of a sundae an ice cream sundae mm. um just Thinking outside the box like that, outside just the regular popcorn box full of buttered right. popcorn, and have fun with it, and um, you know, really celebrate popcorn. There are things you can do with savory foods too, and so keep that in mind as well. What you know, what would you do with savory foods? So obviously, popcorn. Um, you know, I always think of peanuts, and he he sold those too. He was also a peanut vendor. Popcorn Jan did not survive. He um, was in third class, traveling in third class back from London, having visited his family there, and um, he never made it back. So I I was really drawn to that story as a kid. My family told me about it, and I just was amazed. How did somebody from my hometown, which at that time was pretty landlocked it still is physically but people get around a lot more in this area and they travel a whole lot more than they did when i was growing up in the 70s when i heard the story for the first time um so i thought how did he get on this incredible ship and that's really what led me to to start researching titanic as a kid so um for sure i would um i definitely think popcorn is something that would be on a, a on the party menu I know that like now popcorn and well, popcorn and peanuts are more like fairground and sporting event foods, but now like popcorn is more, not more, but like kind of more synonymous with movies. But I think, you know, movies obviously were a little bit less common than they um, are now in 1912. So what, what, when, when was popcorn served? Was it kind of like a horse race derby picnic food well um cracker jack was introduced at the world's columbian exposition of 1892 in chicago and that was really a a height for popcorn you know in 
and uh, trending in the United States when that first happened. Uh, so many things were introduced to the public at the World's Columbian Exposition of 1892 in Chicago. And that was one thing, mm-hmm. uh, actually, Cracker Jack. Now, that wasn't the first caramel corn, but it was sort of the first mainstreamed, you know, um, marketed, branded type of car- caramel corn, obviously. Sure. Yeah. For those that, that haven't had caramel corn, um, I would think about that for a party to get little boxes because they're so fun. I don't know if they still have, they used to have little prizes inside. Um, and they, you could open up the the wrapper and find maybe a little um, toy tattoo. I remember they used to have those when I was a kid. I don't know what they have now, um, but you used to be able to get a little uh, treat inside. So that with or without the toy inside, it would be really fun to have little popcorn boxes around and um for sure what i love to do i like to order different sizes of the red and white striped popcorn boxes Mm -hmm. and then you know put them all around and let people just pick them up at their leisure put them on a pretty mirrored tray or something and pass them around um you know somebody once said to me well popcorn can get so messy it can it's true but I think it's worth the mess. <laughs> Have your uh, film outside. Oh, yeah, if the weather permits. Yeah. I am not a popcorn fan. Admittedly, I, I am one of those people. I, I, I can't get over the kernels in my teeth thing but i'll have a few pieces especially if someone's eating it around me because that's it's 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 hard to avoid you're just like well you're like legally obligated to have at least one piece of popcorn if somebody around you is eating it yeah exactly you're legally <laughs> like i'm Absolutely. entitled yeah yeah definitely another thing you can do for a titanic any titanic party but for sure with a um movie party have a, a beer like the the munich style lager that was on the titanic the Wrexham lager brewing company of course um had their beer on on board and um, you know, if you can't get a hold of Wrexham, just try to find some Munich style lager and uh, you can't bring that into the movie theater. Right. So you can do it at home in the backyard or in your living room when you have a movie parties, have those types of um, beers. And one thing for every party that I have is the selection of cheeses that was on the buffet um, in first class for lunch every day. We know yeah. that because. Um, several people have um, shared or several people saved menus and um, one of the people that saved their menu from lunch was Ruth Dodge Um, and she was a first class passenger and Mm -hmm. she saved her menu that showed the different cheeses that were aboard Uh, camembert there was um, St. Givelle cheese which is hard to find because mm-hmm. they don't make it anymore, but oh. um, you can still get like a soft, um, any kind of soft cheese, like a Philly cheese is kind of how it was hmm. um, back then when it was made. Edom, Gorgonzola, Cheshire, Stilton. So a little uh, assortment of cheeses is a great nod to the Titanic uh, foods and wonderful for a party. You know, if you're, you're going to put some kind of cheese out anyway, which you probably are, um, I would say. <laughs> if you know, you're classy. Put... Right, right. Um, 
you know, put a little thought into being strategic about it and, um, you know, have that assortment of cheeses from, from first class and lunch every day. I think what always surprises me, especially when I talk to you, because sometimes when you read recipes or, you know, especially when you look at the language surrounding older recipes, that they can seem very unattainable is not the word that I want, but like so very different and far away and well, we don't do things like that anymore. But then when, you know, I actually talk to you and you're like, no, they had beer and popcorn and cheese. It's like, that's what people have at a Super Bowl party today. Good point. Yes. And like you say, it's, you know, there are so many things that are doable. It doesn't have to be an 11 course meal. You don't have to do that to honor the the stories of the Titanic. Even in the context of first class, because again, I've actually looked, you know, through your book and I've also looked at some of the menus and kind of not compared the two, but, you know, I've, I've seen them and it's, it is interesting to me because yet I think that it's easy to get focused on the opulence of like the first class dinners, because I mean, we all eat spaghetti once in a while, but we don't all have an 11 course dinner seven days in a row that it's just such an unusual experience that I think it's easy to get stuck on that. But then when you think about it, like they ate fruit for dessert a lot. They had a lot of cheese and they drank beer and wine, the kinds that you can still get today. And I'm now realizing that they had popcorn, which is like, why wouldn't they have had popcorn? It is just corn in heat. It didn't take some grand technological marvel to make popcorn. Well, and I'm, I'm guessing that they probably had a little popcorn on board, but I don't know that for sure. I just referenced popcorn because sure. popcorn on board. So I want to make sure I'm explaining that clearly that, um, you know, there might not have been popcorn on board, but there were definitely popcorn lovers on board. So, so you know what uh, there was on board was ice cream. Yes. Which was there, a big deal. Yes. Because there were freezers on board mm-hmm. that they could use, which was state of the art at the time and um, just really unusual on a ship. And it's so common now, like if you went on a cruise today and they made an announcement where they were like, oh, by the way, there is zero ice cream on the ship. I think people might voluntarily sink that ship because it would be like, <laughs> this is just unacceptable. <laughs> But at the time, it was like, what a concept. Yeah. Yeah. And there was actually one man, a very young man, who was assigned the task of making the ice cream. So cool. Yeah. And so it it was a a really, um, sure, he did other things to multitask and did things to um, help out here and there. But his main function was. Uh, to make the ice cream so i'm so glad you brought that up because what would a movie party be without ice cream you could make ice cream sandwiches like you could buy at a a movie concessionaire you could um you know use the ice cream in the sundae to top with the caramel corn Uh, Mm. there's many things that you can do when you may not know the answer to this but like i know that you know novelty ice cream really obviously be must have become a thing after the portable refrigeration not port but like available not refrigeration freezer capabilities just because you know you needed the ability but 
were people making like ice cream creations at the time things like I don't know when the Knickerbocker glory Sunday was invented for example like are those things that came way later when all you know suddenly you have the ability to keep ice cream for long enough to start stacking it I don't know that was that was just kind of a silly question well I'd like to think that people were making ice cream sandwiches you know, all along with doing things creatively at home with their ice cream and cookies and just like we are now. Um, I, that's one thing I learned from researching and writing my book is that, you know what, we're not the first foodies there. There were, except there are exceptional examples throughout, um, you know, the Edwardian years of people doing really neat things, of course, which is obvious with the one example of the 11 course meal. So I'm sure that that those types of things were happening and um you know in kitchens everywhere mm-hmm. it seemed like there was a lot of opportunity to show off culinarily right you know because people were entertaining so much at home and entertaining was sort of like expected you know you in, in the Edwardian years it was just something that you did so much so that people had calling card holders in their entryways to their homes of course the for sure the first class Mm -hmm. um passengers would have had those and it was uh expected that if you had like a house of some appointment like i'm sure that there was you know some sort of size or money limit but like if you were of a certain echelon it was expected that you would host people and not just host like oh you can crash on my couch but there will be a room ready for you and there will be food and some level of entertainment. It was expected that you would entertain people sort of at the drop of a hat. And if you couldn't, it was sort of a shame. Yeah. And I think people in all classes had their ways of entertaining at home. Entertaining was just a a really special thing at that time. It was something, you know, very common. Mm -hmm. And people didn't go out to dinner as much as, as we do now to lunch or dinner. That was going to be my Um, question. (laughs) Yeah. People don't, um, you know, stay home and cook like they used to. I think there's more of it now in the last few years of people cooking at home and um, entertaining at home with, you know, really close friends, but, um, you know, definitely still not as much as used to be just because of the accessibility we have mm-hmm. so many friends now. Yeah, I I realized it's my preferred way to to hang out with people is to not go out places. Um, part of it is because I've realized there's like, you know, I'll go to a restaurant and about 50% of the time I don't like my food. And it's like, well, that is disappointing. If I cook for myself at home and it's bad, then I blame me. And it cost me the cost of groceries. If you, you go out, it's like, well, I paid this and that and this. And that's a little bit more like, disappointing but as you mentioned the accessibility is a thing like i if i open doordash on my phone right now i think i can get more restaurants that will deliver food to me that i can scroll in the course of one minute yeah exactly it's weird to consider that Number one, there was this whole era where it was like just expected that a stranger could show up at a rich person's house of the same echelon and be like, hi, I live here for the next three days. And if you don't treat me like a superstar, I will tell everyone. And (laughs) 
it was a thing and it was like you couldn't even pawn them off and be like oh we'll take them out to dinner and put them up at a nice hotel so i don't have some loon in my house it was like no i'm expected to bring you into my home and treat you like an invited guest yeah that is wild to me as a concept it is wild as a concept well do you want me to read a little passage from my book about what someone said about the food aboard the titanic Yes, I do. I would love to do that. One of my favorite stories is about Adolfa Zelfeld. Mm-hmm. He was a first-class passenger, and he was carrying perfume samples with him. He was going to try to... That's uh, why sell- the name's familiar. Yes. Yeah, I was talking about earlier, and um, his vials of perfumes were found, um, of course, many years later. And he did survive, but he really suffered a lot of judgment over, you know, well, why did you survive and so many men didn't? And quite frankly, what happened with Adelfel was, you know, early on in, in boarding the lifeboats, there was a spot and he was allowed in and he, you know, was able to survive that way. Um, nobody said, you know, women and children first to him, or he would have definitely had, you know, not have, have taken that seat, but he did take the seat that um, he did and and he survived. He had a really hard time afterwards because of the scrutinization. And so um, his story is very near and dear to my heart because, um, you know, he was, he was kind of in that predicament. And I, I love how he loved food. So um, he was 47 when he was on the Titanic. And um, on the first day of the trip, like so many other excited passengers, he penned a letter home. He penned his letter to his wife, Gertrude, back in England. And he told her that he had just spent hours roaming through this wonderful boat. He liked his accommodations. He said, it is like a bed sitting room and rather large. So kind of like a, a sweet, mm-hmm. like an sweet almost. Um, and he said, they're still busy finishing the last touches on board. And I loved reading that because I thought, wow, that really paints the visualization of um, all of the detail that went into getting ready and all of the um, scurrying about trying to make sure everything was perfect because they were still finishing things when he, he boarded. He said that um, he believed that his letter would be the first to be written home from the Titanic. And in 2009, his letter sold at an auction for $3,500 in New York City. So these letters that have been found or that, you know, family members have shared, um, you know, to, to make sure that they are restored for history um they've really been very valuable financially Salfeld told Gertrude that there were only 370 first class passengers he also wrote about the hot and cold running water in his cabin and he let his wife know that he had eaten a big lunch here we go okay he had soup filet of plus which is like a flounder fish okay he had a loin chop with cauliflower and fried potatoes those and, are two entrees. Yes, right. The the um the I'm assuming probably a um nice cauliflower florette with with the chop. 
Um, he ate an apple Manhattan for dessert mm. and then some Roquefort cheese. And that was probably from that buffet of cheeses, the assortment of cheeses that I mentioned earlier. I'm sure that was. And he said he washed it down with a Spatchen beer iced. So there was ice in his beer. And the beer was likely the iced draft Munich Lager style from Wrexham Brewery. Hmm. Um, that Wrexham Brewery is um, in, in England. Right. He said that his letter to her, he had had a long promenade and dozed for an hour until 5 p.m. So um, that's interesting that he, you know, slept a little bit of the afternoon away there. And he said that the band played in the afternoon for tea. But instead, he had had coffee. He called it cafe oh. uh, with an accent aigu on the E there. He, called, he wrote cafe, which is coffee. With have, is, so I didn't mean to interrupt you. Do you ever have that one person that comes back from a trip abroad and insist on a, like, did they say a couple words with an accent just to make you nuts? <laughs> I worked at a, I worked at a Le Pan Quotidien and there was a, a server there who would say, Dachtin? instead of tartine but just just that one it would be like we need a ham and cheese tartine it was like you need to calm down oh that's cute it was, it was cute the first three times that happened and after that it was like all right i get oh. it you've got the accent leave me alone <laughs> yeah sorry. there's a limit on that there's there's a limit on that Is quota the cafe yeah. in the afternoon Cafe. cafe well and in his case i think they might have referred to it as cafe like that in in england at the time where he lived uh-huh. it's that he had it with bread and butter in the veranda cafe that's that's not what i would expect to pair with coffee well yeah that's why i love these letters um he had thought that he would have to pay for everything but to his surprise the food was he called it gratis free mm-hmm. so everything and he remarked about that which really says a lot about how these people um you know received this experience or how they how surprised they were by things right he said he didn't know if he'd be up on time to mail the letter at queenstown which is now Kolb. um you know the the town in ireland Mm -hmm. when the titanic made a stop there so he would mail it that night so um and interestingly enough that menu from that lunch that he described was auctioned off on in 2012 and it set a new record it was sold to a private collector for 64,000 pounds wow yes and it had been saved by the may brothers richard and stanley now they were fishmongers two brothers they were traveling to cork for a fishing vacation uh-huh. And they boarded the Titanic in Southampton, just like Adolfo did. Um, but they um, didn't continue on across the ocean. Um, and they sailed across the Irish Sea to Queenstown. Instead of the Apple Manhattan that Selfeld had, he could have had what was on the menu, rice pudding or pastries, um, a consomme chardonnay, which is like a vegetable-based consomme, and you know by constantly it's heavy on the broth lighter on the actual ingredients beef steak and kidney pie that would be fun to make for a titanic book party or a a, good heavy uh, that's a good hearty not heavy but hearty main 
Yeah. And, you know, you could make little pies, miniature pies, and yeah. pass those to your movie guests. Um, there were fried potatoes mashed or baked in their jackets. There was lobster, herring, sardines, or shrimp. A round of spiced beef, roast beef, and hams. Corned ox tongue, brawn, and bologna, bologna sausage. Um, and then there was a gallatin of chicken, was, which is like a rolled stuffed chicken served cold usually. And I don't know how they served it in the Titanic, but I would guess it was served cold. Um, so that's, you know, neat to think of. I love cold chicken myself. Oh, I was about to say that sounds awful, but that's, I think that might be a me thing. <laughs> well, I, yeah, the things were very different back then. Yeah. Um, so uh, Adolfa had a table all to himself for lunch. And you I'll, would need one with all of that food. <laughs> and he, he, um, you know, was able to get his own table by mentioning the name of a friend of his. It was a manager with the White Star Line in London. So he had some really great connections. Um, and then he wrote also about a very good dinner that he had later on with two cigars in the smoke room. <laughs> so he signed off saying, um, oh, this is not the same letter, but on the last night before the Titanic struck the iceberg, Saulfeld had sent a telegram home to Gertrude and saying, enjoying best Adolfa. And that was the last that thing that he sent from the Titanic. So, um, yeah, a lot of little clues there that Adolfa shares with us through his letters to Gertrude or his letter to Gertrude and, and uh, the menu from the, the fishing brothers about, you know, what the food looked like and, um, I, I just love uncovering those details like that. So if you ever hear of a letter like that, uh, that hasn't made it into the news yet, let me know. Cause I, I love to collect these little nuggets or even, you know, if it's, if it's out in the news, I would love to hear about it. Um, letters are fun. They, uh, they're, they're snippets to people's lives. Like I think I saw some things online somewhere where uh, someone had said something along the lines of, a historian's favorite person is an ancient nosy neighbor. <clears throat> They're the kind of people that'll record like the mundanities of day-to-day -day life. Definitely. I'm trying to think of the example that they use. Yeah. Like there, I think someone had said there's his, there's a city I'm thinking it's either Greece or Italy where they found in addition to salt and pepper shakers on almost every table, there was a third shaker, but nobody knows what it contained. And it doesn't seem to be written down anywhere because it was whatever it was, was so obvious to everyone who lived there that there was no point in making a record. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it is those kind of little things where I, you then then maybe you uncover someone's journal from that time period and who's someone's been writing their journal and they're like allison made the miss like that shake the mustard shaker empty again or whatever the case may be and then suddenly it's like oh someone's mystery was solved because someone wrote a gripe journal <laughs> <laughs> but it's that kind of thing where the people who um you need the everyday looks into people's lives to piece together um 
how history is. I saw something else on Facebook today that said a woman started taping everything that was on TV in 1979 and continued until her death in 1912. And now those archives are being digitized because it is the most complete collection of TV from that time period. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, and it's just because one person was like, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do this thing. Very cool. That is awesome. Do we have time for me to read one of my favorite letters? Yeah. Cuz I love this letter from Popcorn Dan, home to the man who was helping him take care of his place while he was gone. Mr. Ballstead, he worked at the bank and this is a really cute, funny letter. So I, I want to share this with you. He, Dan wrote this on April 1st. He was still in London. He hadn't gotten on the Titanic yet, obviously. Um, and he was writing to let Mr. Balston know that he was coming back home mm-hmm. aboard the Titanic. So he says, dear Mr. Balston, I am now wishing to let you know that I'm coming back. I have already booked my passage by the Titanic which will leave Southampton on the Wednesday after Easter, April 10th. So you can calculate about what time it will reach New York. And this is so cute. This is really funny. He says, I was very delighted to receive your letter. It was quite a wonder though, that I did get it as the envelope was only addressed. Mr. Daniel Coxon, London, England, (laughs) which of course is not sufficient for a place like London. Anyway, I was glad to get it. Thanks to the post office people here. Can you imagine in London? He just knew uh, who he was. Yeah. Yeah. He must, he was very well known. So maybe they knew him very well in London too. I can of course quite understand not receiving your first letter now though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have had a pretty good time on the whole, but I'm getting rather tired of holiday making. And she'll be very glad to get back again and settle down once more. No doubt. By the time I get back to Merrill, the weather will have become settled and I shall be able to set about getting ready for work, getting his horse going and getting his crater wagon out and, um, and popcorn and so forth. The weather here is beginning to get quite nice and spring over here is very enjoyable and delightful. And this part made me kind of sad. He said, today was the Oxford and Cambridge boat race. I did not see it as there was no one at hand who could conveniently take me. I have seen a good deal since I have been here and I'm therefore very well satisfied. I hope everybody is well in Merrill. That is, of course, I mean, my friends. I hope all are getting along. All right. I shall have heaps of news to tell when we meet. So we'll say no more now. Hmm. I am much obliged for what you have kindly done. And thank you for anything you may do for me when I return. You will observe that I will be spending the Easter holidays here. So shall see something of the way people spend their bank holiday at Abby Amstead. Ha, goodbye for the present. Kind remembrances to everybody there. Kind regards to yourself. Yours sincerely, Dan Coxon. We Hmm. need to start writing letters again. Very well put, yes. And um, the other thing I take away from that letter is, you know, here he wanted to go to the, the Cambridge race and no one could take him. And he had a large family and mm-hmm. you know what? You, we just have to really like live in the moment and yeah. be there for our people because you never know when it's your last opportunity to be with someone. You know, it's something that my, you know, we've been talking about in my, 
my family. So my immediate family, there's just there, there's the four of us and we're all adults now. And, you know, something we've been talking about more in that, you know, as we're all getting older, you realize that, as you just said, you have to experience things uh, now. And I was watching a TV show that I, I really like. It's a Korean show. It's on Netflix. It's called Extraordinary Attorney Woo. Uh, it's about a young attorney out of college with autism getting her first job. And there's one part there where a young man is explaining that children need to play now because it's too late tomorrow. It's too late after you get a job. It's too late after you get married to play. And there's a there's a bunch more surrounding this case that's far more complicated. But as a basic philosophy, the concept I agree with, because, you know, I don't have children and I have friends who have children of a variety of ages. I have friends who have infants and friends who have, you know, 10, 11 teenagers. And it is interesting just to see, even at such a young age, like how much pressure they are under. And it kind of makes me re like kind of go back to that, th- that thought where it's like, you know, you need to have chances to enjoy your moments now, because before you know it, you know, it will be too late because you'll, you'll be a college graduate or married or you'll have children and suddenly realize that everything has gone by you in an absolute like. Whoosh. Yeah. And, you know, making the most of each day, being there for people, it's so easy to beg off and say, Oh, I'm busy or I have other plans, but um, you know, I try to think every day of that letter that Dan wrote home to Mr. Ballstead and how, you know, how am I interacting with people so that, you know, I'm helping them live their best life too. And, you know, what can I do to make a difference in someone else's life and just being there for people? It's a good way to think about things. And I'll fully admit that, you know, I do try to be nice. I do try to be a good person, but I am human and I fail. And sometimes I'm mean and, you know, things of that nature. And as you know, it is human to do so, but you know, that's why it's important. Just, you know, learn from your mistakes, move on, apologize and make sure that you have those good memories of people. Because, you know, the thing that I, that I, that stuck out to me about that letter you wrote read was that he said, like, I have a lot more to tell you, but I want to tell you in person. And I've, done that before and then lucky for me i've been able to meet up with that person and tell them my news but i've done that before where it's like oh my gosh i'm so excited to tell you all these stories but i don't want to do it over the phone because i want to tell you when i see you next week at your birthday and it's very much that and you know again like i said lucky for me i've you know it's never happened where suddenly that person was gone like that but in this case you know you're waiting to hear from your friend and then the next time you do it's like oh i'm not going to hear from them yeah yeah um, um, good, good point. Well, and another letter from Popcorn Dan. To, is it okay if I read another one or yeah. have I read letters? <laughs> okay. Um, so I love this because on April 15th, which was the day when, you know, the day after the, the night when the Titanic struck the iceberg, mm-hmm. um, the following day, a letter arrived in Brooklyn, New York. And it came to the editor of uh, the dramatic section of the Brooklyn Daily Eagle. And his name was H.V. Coltonborn. And when I read that, I thought, I, I know that name from journalism history. Um, you know, I went to 
to school for journalism and studied history and I knew that name. Well, H.V. Colton Bourne was also from Merrill. He was sort of a um, kind of a rock star reporter of the day in the 1930s. Hmm. Um, and he covered the Dewey Truman campaign. Um, he covered the Spanish-American War and, and really was very well known. And it turned out from my research about Popcorn Dam that they were friends. They both had lived in Merrill and he was going to be meeting Colton Bourne when he got into New York city. And I, I love to think about that. What were these people going to do when they got to New York? I, I, I love to think about all the different stories of, um, you know, what they were going to do. Well, when H.V. Colton Bourne got this letter on the 15th, um, he went running into his editor to say, look, I have a letter from someone who was aboard the Titanic. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Dan must have mailed the letter from Cobe, or, or no, it was Queenstown then, or uh, maybe from Cherbourg. He boarded in Southampton, and so the letter had been mailed while he was en route. And he wrote, um, or actually, I, I remember now, he wrote it from while he was still in England and sent it to HV, letting him know he was going to come to New York. So he says in the letter, my holiday here is now drawing to a close, and I've already booked my passage back for home. I am returning on the Titanic, which will leave from Southampton on the Wednesday after Easter. That is on the 10th of April. So you will be able to calculate the time of my arrival at New York when I hope to have the pleasure of seeing you again. If you happen to have the time, I should of course be only too pleased if you could manage to come and meet me on the arrival of the boat. I have had a very good time, but now feel that I shall be glad to return to work for I'm getting a little tired of fooling around. (laughs) think that by the time I get back, the weather should be settling for the better and the rougher kind will, I hope, be all over. It is growing pleasant here now and spring here, as you may know, is very delightful. Wishing you all good things until we meet. And that letter appeared in the Daily Eagle that day um, Mm -hmm. on the 15th. So either the 15th or 16th, as soon as they could get it printed, because it was most unusual and I was impressed by the formality and the fact that, you know, I got the sense that Dan was a little nervous about getting into New York city. He had asked HB to come meet him at the dock and help him figure out where to go. So mm-hmm. um, I love these letters. Thank you for letting me read them. Uh, I, I know that not everyone has had a chance to read your book and then maybe not everyone will get that chance. And that's why I'm grateful for you sh- to you sharing those letters, you know, I, simply because not everyone may have a chance to read them in- independently. And I think that they're important and I find them very interesting and charming and sad. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I love your podcast, because like you said, you know, people want to read every book out there on Titanic, but they, they don't have time. So this is like a, a a nice way of sort of, you know, giving people highlights, cliff notes, um, you know, tailoring information together. Um, if you want, I can read the caramel corn recipe from the book. Would you like me to read that? Yes, please. If anyone would like to make their own caramel corn, listen up. The expert's going to tell us. And this recipe is from um, Kim Delos Kusheri, a Chicago chef who contributed this for the book. Um, 
and it's for caramel corn. But like I, you know, we were talking earlier about how um, there's nothing documented that caramel corn was on board, but it's probably not unlikely. Um, it's probably very, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if people had had that as a snack. It was a treat uh, of the time. Yes. A very, very popular treat at the time. And um, Kim has this wonderful recipe. She sprinkles it on top of an ice cream sundae. And here's her recipe for caramel corn. Two and a third cups popped popcorn, kernels removed. One and a third cup light brown sugar. A half a cup of corn syrup. Two thirds cups of butter. A half a teaspoon cream of tartar. One teaspoon salt and one teaspoon baking soda and bring these ingredients, the first few ingredients bring to um, together. It's the brown sugar, um, syrup, butter, cream of tartar, not the cream, the cream of tartar and salt <laughs> and bring that together to 300 degrees in a large pot on the stovetop. And then immediately whisk in the baking soda and fold in popcorn very lightly, of course, because you don't want to beat up that popcorn by stirring it too much and break mm-hmm. it up too much. At all, obviously. Um, so just maybe a couple quick folds. Uh, make sure the popcorn is completely coated and then spread it into a parchment lined sheet tray, cookie sheet, baking sheet. And as it cools, she recommends separating the kernels to make little bite-sized pieces. And there you go. I know that with certain baking doughs, if you overwork them, they get too tough. Um, obviously you were saying that if you, if you overwork it, you could break up the, the popcorn, but does it stiffen and harden the caramel if you keep working at it? I don't, I've never worked with caramel. It, I don't think it affects it that much. I've never oh, experienced that. I have worked with it a lot. Okay. Um, and I don't think it, really matters but i think this is me confusing caramel with glass okay yes and i know you're what you're getting at um well you mentioned ice cream earlier would you like an ice cream recipe yes let's please distract everyone from the fact that i was confusing glass blowing with making caramel (laughs) we have um grand marnier ice cream or french or vanilla, you, you pick your ice cream flavor. I think the listeners are going to want to hear about the Grand Marnier. <laughs> All right, that's where I went right away too. So I think that's a great pick. Thank you for thinking that. This is from Craig Flynn, who is a, and he's an executive chef in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I'm sure you know why a chef from Halifax, Nova Scotia was featured in the book. I made sure to feature someone from Halifax. Because no, that is, were you going to, I'll let you tell. No, I was, I, I, I was just, I don't even know what I was going to say. I was just nodding in agreement. Okay. Cause I, it was really important to me to include Halifax in the book, uh, modern day Halifax, because that is where the ship came from that went out looking for people, you know, passengers that did not survive um, from Halifax, Nova Scotia. So um, the Mackie Bennett departed and returned. Yes, exactly. So this is from Halifax. Grand Marnier ice cream. Mm. Two cups whipping cream. Two cups milk. 
whole or two percent i'd go for the whole i have to admit you know for making ice cream whole milk is usually the standard because of its thickness right i know yeah uh and then the zest of one orange one cup white sugar two teaspoons vanilla extract an eighth of a teaspoon of salt two tablespoons grand marnier liqueur and bring the cream milk and orange zest to a simmer set the liquid aside for one hour to steep Uh, add the egg yolks to the bowl of a stand mixer along with half of the sugar beat on high using a whisk attachment until the mixture is light in color and the sugar has dissolved place the liquid back on the heat and add the salt vanilla and the remaining sugar when hot add the liquid to the egg yolk mixture in a slow and steady stream whisking continuously when all the hot liquid is added to the yolks transfer the custard to a bowl and set it over a pot of simmering water Cook gently, stirring constantly with a rubber spatula until the custard thickens and coats the back of a spatula. Strain the custard through a fine meshed sieve and cool completely. Chill in the fridge and process in an ice cream machine following the manufacturer's instructions. And that was from Craig Flynn. I was just thinking that that would be really good with caramel popcorn as a topping. Wouldn't that be delicious? Yeah, that that sounds really good. Really good. Oof. Add a little butterscotch drizzle. I'm having ideas. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think we've got our party menu planned. I think so. And again, I just want to... I'm still blown away by, again, how similar the foods are. Like, There's just such a thought that, like retro food or vintage food is hard to make hard to source difficult super classy or has a million steps but you think about how when you really think about it it's like it's ice cream and popcorn and a nice roast and fried potatoes and beer yeah i love that you a nice roast and it's like such a great centerpiece for any party yeah and it it works for your budget and that was the other thing like you know with the unattainability it's like yes not everyone can afford filet mignon you don't need that just get a nice just a nice cut of meat that you you can prepare well and and you're completely fine and i would say try to find one pick your favorite movie theater candy Mm -hmm. whatever your thing is if it's red licorice or you know whatever your your dots or who knows what and find a recipe online to make that. I think people would really enjoy um, honoring their favorite candy from the movie theater and sharing that with their friends at the party. Yeah, I know that that's um, that's a really popular thing to do is kind of do like potluck style. And I think that could be really fun where it's like someone bring a popcorn, you pick it. Someone brings an ice cream thing. One Maybe the host, because it's easier if you have the kitchen to do like the main but you know, there's 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 so many ways of doing the these parties and stuff that are within. You know, you don't have to go crazy. There doesn't have to be champagne and caviar. As a matter of fact, if you invite me to a Titanic party and that's all you serve, I'm leaving. Yes, although it would be really fun to do a little caviar, right, with some blinis and toast points and all the different condiments that go with it. 
Yeah. So you're feeling, again, if you really want to do like that homage that you can set it up as like, definitely as an addition, but it's like, if that's all you're serving, it's like, I'm done. That's I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. There needs to be food at a party. Yes. I love the, the, for sure, the nice roast and what a great idea. Wow. I'm, I'm loving the idea of, you know, people bringing their favorite uh, things to share, like you suggested and, you know, have a baked potato party. You baked potatoes and have everybody bring a topping because they, they talked that about jacket potatoes. They talked about that in the letter and mm-hmm. jacket potatoes were surely on the menus. Um, turn it into a, a baked potato party. Baked potatoes and popcorn. I did in beer. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. I, that's perfect. <laughs> I think that sounds amazing to me, but um, that's Veronica, as always, thank you so much for coming on. I always love talking to you. I learned so much. I really liked those letters. And I thank you for sharing them. Because like, you know, as we said, not everyone's going to have a chance to read your book. And I, I really appreciate you sharing a lot of the contents with us. Well, I want to thank you. And thank you very sincerely for all that you're doing to share these stories. It, I, your podcast is one of my favorites. And... Oh you're doing amazing work. So um, I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing. Well, thank you so much. And as like, as, as it's always so good to talk to you. You too. And I hope you have a wonderful afternoon, rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank Veronica again so much for coming back on the show. Always an amazing time. And if you haven't had a chance to read her book, I really recommend it. It is called Last Night on the Titanic, Unsinkable Drinking, Dining, and Style. And I also highly encourage you to connect with her on social media. She is Food Stringer on Twitter, F-O-O-D-S-T-R-I-N-G-E-R. And Food Stringer underscore, nope, uh, just regular Food Stringer on Instagram. And I highly recommend finding her following her on Instagram because she posts really, really cool and pretty pictures of a bunch of food that you should uh, definitely salivate over like I do because it all looks amazing. Uh, Yeah, be sure to follow the show on all the social medias, the same username on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Titanic Talklin, all one word. Um, Check out the link in the description box and pick up a t-shirt. My new adorable shirt featuring me and my two real-life dogs, Lado and Princess, is for sale. And I think it is the perfect thing that you need for the upcoming warmer weather. I know you can't picture it being warm now for some of you, but it will be. And I'll see you guys in the next time. Bye! Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word. Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at titanictalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!